Hello and welcome to the A-Form show. My name is Alan George and thank you very much for tuning in. Each week we sit across from thought leaders and change makers in the architecture and design space of the GCC. We dive deep into their experiences both professionally and personally and share their valuable insight as to what makes them tick. Our goal is to add value to your day and help you navigate your own personal creative journey. Finally, the opinions and the views of the guest speakers are that of their own. They do not necessarily represent the views and the opinions of the show or the host. Before we get into the show, we'd love to give a big shout out to our friends at Inkscape Education Management based right here out of Dubai Design District. Inkscape is a design training institute specializing in skill training specifically for the design and creative professions. They currently offer short courses in architecture, fashion, interior design, and graphics design. Inkscape's unique training style is aimed at training individuals through design thinking methodologies, enabling them to process and generate real-life solutions with confidence. If you're a working professional, they got you covered too. In addition to the daytime courses that they have running. There are courses tailor-made for you with evening sessions. They provide working professionals with an opportunity to acquire new skills when it suits them. In a nutshell, you can earn while you learn. So the time is now. Pick up a new skill and add value to your workspace. If this is of interest to you, feel free to reach out to them on Instagram and Facebook at WeAreInscape UAE. That is WeAreInscape UAE. Our guest today is Morne Skuman. She is the campus director of Inkscape Education Management, Dubai branch. Based out of our beloved Dubai Design District, Morne brings close to three decades of design education practices to the region, all the way from South Africa. As an interior designer by profession, she is able to integrate the studio class into professional practice, enabling her students to truly grasp the nuances of the profession. Besides running a campus in Dubai, she is also the owner of Baroque, a clothing boutique in South Africa. Inkscape is undoubtedly the new kid on the block over here and has taken the city of Dubai by storm with a phenomenal intake of students in the first year of operation, Mone has no signs of slowing down. In today's episode, we talk about design education in South Africa and Dubai, the hurdles of the ID and architecture industry, and running an international clothing boutique studio. So, without further ado, let's get into it. Welcome to the show, Mone. How are you today? I'm good. Thanks so much for having me. Right. So a lot of people don't know. A lot of people, when they hear our podcast, they're kind of like, where are these guys, you know, recording? Is this happening in some basement somewhere? I get that question quite often, actually. Really? Yeah. They're like, oh. where, where, where does this happen? So for all of you who don't know, Inkscape Education Management happens to be our venue sponsor. We have shot pretty much every episode of this uh, season over here. So before we do anything else, I would like to personally thank you, Mone, for making that possible. The show would not be possible without your blessings <laughs> and giving pleasure. us the space over here. Yeah, we enjoy so, having you. Yeah. My first question out of curiosity would be, um, how, many, how many campuses do you guys have as Inkscape in South Africa? We currently have five campuses in South Africa. Okay. In, in all the major 
major right. metropole right. area. So would it be then fair to say that Dubai is your first truly international campus? Definitely, yes. Okay. So then my first question would be, why pick Dubai? Well, it was serendipitous in that the CEO of Enscape just happened to meet somebody at a conference in, I think, Krakow in Poland, uh, an education uh, recruiting conference, and ended up running into the same guy again at the airport. They struck up a conversation, which, you know, overlays and imports can take some time, and of yeah, course. just ended up in ki- sort of kismet. Things just ended up working out and right. flowed. Right, but I'm sure there must have been, I mean, as as simple as that sounds, <laughs> um, I'm, I'm sure there would have been a lot more um, research that you guys would have put into this market. Of course. Ob- obviously, yeah. before you would come in here. So yeah. I'm interested to know what were the insights that you guys discovered in the market over here for design education? Well, definitely Dubai is a emerging market. Okay. Um, as is South Africa, you know, coming out of our previous... Uh, government. Uh, We're only 24 years old into our new democracy. And um, there were a lot of similarities in that, you know, we realized in South Africa thing, you know, as designers, we have to think sustainably. And I think the same thing's happening in Dubai. We just saw a lot of parallels between what we were offering and achieving in South Africa and that that would be possible to recreate that in Dubai. Okay. So when you guys decide to come over here, this is always um, a kind of a, a pet peeve of mine, wherein obviously coming from South Africa, you want to bring South African standards, levels of education when you come over here. But then you also want to kind of maintain standards which are then, say, locally available over here, yes. for example, right? Yes. So how do you feel over the last year of operation you've been able to kind of find that balance? Has that been easy or has there been a lot of give and take? There's been a lot of adjustment and it's been from Inscape's side because, um, again, like you said, we didn't just want to come in and say we know what we're doing and we know how right. to do it. Right. So the only South African is me. Everybody else we've employed has been local. And so okay. we because we pride ourselves in having local ex- experts right. or, or experts in their fields. tutoring the students so we we spent quite a bit of time looking and that's i I spent a lot of time in the beginning getting to know people and local people and people that have been in dubai for some time um you know so that they can teach us more about what is needed and so that when they're talking to students they come with first-hand knowledge okay yeah and i've gone through the courses obviously that you guys offer And I noticed that you are kind of targeting the um, short course kind of, you know, one month, three months, six month kind of time frame for the programs that you offer in architecture, fashion, ID, graphics. So my question is, was that a conscious decision? Was that something which you noticed that the market was lacking and that's why you wanted to get into that space? Yes, definitely. I think... Uh, primarily Dubai has a lack of entrepreneurs. Okay. But I do think there's an entrepreneurial spirit. 
Right. So I think there's a lot of people sitting in jobs or um, doing currently doing things that they may have studied and that they enjoyed, but their passion lies somewhere else. Right. And it's usually in design. Because I think when um, youngsters are choosing subjects to go study and they bring up design, parents are kind of like, well, why don't you become a lawyer first or a doctor or an engineer yeah, yeah, <laughs> or think, an architect? I think, I think most most of the listeners of this show have probably, I mean, know exactly what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> so, that's fine. so, uh, so then they end up studying say, accounting or law. If I right. think of the current students we have, or even construction um, or admin, you know, right. we have a lot of young ladies that are working in construction companies that admin people. And then they realizing, hang on, we're having to outsource our interior design or, um, you know, there's green construction. There's not enough knowledge about that. So they're coming to do, or even project management and thematic styling. Right. And so they're coming to study those courses so that they can be of help. Added value. Adding value in right. Their current positions yeah okay so then are you then noticing your intake to be more along um, seasoned professionals and not so much say high school students is that oh, yeah. what's happening no yeah definitely professionals okay um, in whatever fields I mean right. they, they have vast different right. fields yeah right so another question that we got ahead of the show was that um, we had someone come up to us and say they were interested in doing a design degree. They came from an accounting background. And they were kind of asking me, obviously, I'm the worst person to ask. <laughs> but they asked me, um, is it beneficial if I were to do a full-time degree, say a full-time design degree over three to four years, how, however long it may be in whichever course? Or is it more beneficial to, for me to kind of like pick and choose and kind of custom make myself a course with, you know, these shorter courses kind of put together. I didn't really have an answer to that. And I was wondering if you had any insight on that. Well, I do. And I'm, I don't want to bash degrees because, of course, that's, our, that's what we do in South Africa. We have a Bachelor of Design and we have seven specializations. Um, but it depends how old you are. And, I mean, time is relative, right? We're only on this earth for like a drop in the ocean. And you've got to do what you're passionate about and you've got to do what you love. And But I think it is determined about how much time you've got. If you're a teenager, by all means, go study a degree. But if you're already in a profession and you're already on your way, I don't see why you should waste your time studying a degree. I think having some education background gives you a kind of a... A, um, a foot in the door. Yeah, and, and also kind of you have a way of thinking right. about things. And um, so you all, almost already have that, not, that, that um, I want to call it like lateral thinking ability, which you don't necessarily have if you didn't go study. And... Um, so you have you you know you can you work you research based you understand taking time to learn things and that you have to research and be curious and uh, go looking for answers and that they're not just going to fall in your lap. Right. So I think that's beneficial. And so then yes, if by all means you can save some time and just pick up in short courses, go for it. I don't think you need to go study a degree to end up doing what you're passionate about. But I think it is de determined on how your age, where you are in your life. Right. Yeah. Also financially. 
Of course. Yeah, not yeah. everybody I mean, can drop yeah. for three years and go study. They still true. need to keep earning. True, true, true. Yeah. And we've got learning while earning. It's kind of like our little tagline. <laughs> Best of both worlds. Yeah. <laughs> um, you mentioned the word creativity. Yes. Um, which, again, is a word for me which I don't... I am never able to fully explain to anyone from a non-design background what that word means because it's so ambiguous yet so specific in different different cases so again from a educator in the field of design um, can creativity be taught is it something that can be measured is it something that can be um, you know marked for lack of a better word definitely i do believe creativity can be taught okay uh, you can't teach passion that, of course. That's something you have or you don't have. But right. I do. I always say to my students, so, you know, they, they come for, say, a thematic styling course. And then the first thing they say is, I can't draw. And I'm like, wow, that's interesting because I know for a fact when you were a kid and, you know, they made you stick your hand in paint and put right. little marks on paper and you see your mom stuck it on the fridge and right. we all know we did this right. but somewhere along the line they teach us to color in in the lines and to right. be neat and tidy and to stop drawing on the paper and to now write neat and in you know so somewhere along the line we get taught to be conformative yeah so okay you're kind of reversing the creativity Okay. And then the only place you're allowed to be creative now is in the art class or the design class. Because you can't sketch on your math book or your accounting book and you can't draw little pictures. Well, so, I am. I mean, I am a little <laughs> guilty of that from time to time. <laughs> but you, we, we all drew and we all were creative right from the beginning. We danced, we sang with no inhibitions. So, yes, I believe we all have it somewhere inside us. Even if you think you can't draw, you can. Okay. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Um, for the, again, um, uh, going back to the research that you guys did before you entered the market, mm. um, were there any specific skill sets which you saw as maybe not up to the mark or perhaps lacking in the overall demographic here in the city? And was that anything that you kind of wanted to focus on when you opened the campus? Yeah, definitely. It, it was things like um, the soft skills okay. um, in creativity and, um, and again, I say entrepreneurship. So that ability to work independently, um, I think that was, I find, lacking. Um, I think people are scared to go do their own thing, but of course Dubai now has is offering these fantastic freelance visas and opportunities true, true. to people. And so I think even Dubai is starting to realize, hey, entrepreneurship is is the way to go. Because true. I just I've I noticed that a lot of people were dependent on a visa right. or a um uh, working for a company where a lot of people don't realize I can be the company. True. And True. I think that's that's important. Okay. Um, other than that, I think it was a lot, like I said, the soft skills. So the the doing, you know, and the actual application of that. So, you know, university teaches you the theory. And of course, you know, sometimes you lack that creativity. Right. So I'm also finding that we're getting a lot of architecture 
graduates who are coming to do interior design, who are learning about color theory and learning about space planning. And it's interesting because they, they'll say, yes, I learned about this at university, but it wasn't really this in depth or it wasn't really the ap application of it. Right. Yeah, so they so they're they're finding that they are lacking that application of you know the very specific things. Right. Another course I can think of that's that's quite popular is the with interior design graduates and architects is uh, materials and finishes. Um, you know, we have interior design students coming and saying, well, oh, well, our university lecturer told us we'd learn about this in industry. And so they're going into industry and they have no idea about curtaining, upholstery, tiles, timber, flooring, um, laminate flooring, what the difference is. And that's just sad, you know, because they're going in on the back foot. Right. You know, yes, materials change and they're all the time and there's new stuff all the time. But you kind of got to know the basics. <laughs> true, true, And true. so they're leaving not knowing those basics. And that's right. that's a gap we fill, definitely. Okay. Hmm. Um, another area of interest is, um, again, this is from students because this is, again, something which I get asked. Um, I feel like I'm just being a little student now. And I'm like, <laughs> can I ask these questions? <laughs> Um, a lot of them ask if they should be a specialist or a generalist. And I obviously try to tell them that there are definitely, you know, pros and cons to both, obviously. But what I try to always tell them is you kind of have to be self-aware to realize mm -hmm. what end of the spectrum you fall on. Um, a lot of people find that hard to do because they like, okay, but how do I find out? So, again, from an educator point of view, um, how would someone know if they need to be a generalist in the field or if they need to become, say, a niche specialist? Is there anything that they can do, any uh, chain of thought they can follow, any exercises they can do to kind of realize that? I think, again, that goes to passion. And I, okay. I, I know I say the word passion a lot. Whatever you're passionate about, you're going to put a lot of your time and energy in. Okay. And I think if you're not passionate about something, don't pursue it. Okay. Um, but open yourself up to knowing as much as possible. And um, being a generalist, I think, can be dangerous because you could keep yourself stuck in a sort of a little bit of a rat, what do you call it? That rat race. The rat race. And what's that little mouse on the, you know, he just goes round and round. And oh, round yeah, the and mouse round. on the wheel that just. Yeah, 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 the hamster wheel. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. And he just goes round and round and round. So um, if you can find something that you're really passionate about and you can make it, you know, and you can become excellent at it. Right. You know, then um, I, I know I've just done a class with some of my students about uh, trend forecasting. And they made they were like, oh, it sounds so exciting. I said, but it's not for everybody. You right. know, you have to really, because there's so much work. It's it's, it's it's not like you, we were talking about what Miley Cyrus earlier. So it's not like you, <laughs> like Miley Cyrus and you wear a, this outfit and suddenly you're setting a trend. That's not a trend. That's a trend setter. But right. a trend forecast, especially in the design fields, 
architecture, interior, graphics, fashion. Um, these are guys that do a lot of research, and it's things like climate change and whether the, the, they were picking cotton in uh, Venezuela or Brazil and whether the, the crops failed. Does that mean we're going to have less cotton on the market in the coming years? You know, those are trend forecasters, and that's a very niche market. So, right. yeah, if you can find yourself becoming passionate about something and, and investing time and energy, then by all means become the master right. rather than being the, the right. generalist. But it's that's, a journey. Sorry, it's a, it's a process. Yeah, that's what I was going to yeah. say. So, I mean, at the end of the day, I guess you kind of just have to try both. Yeah. I guess that's the only way that you you'll won't, you won't know. know where your passion lies. Right. Until you've tried everything. Right. Which which I can see why with the kind of courses that Inscape offers, I can see how that's kind of like this little um arsenal to kind of build up on as a yes. designer yes. you know you could try say a fashion course you could then do a graphics course and then you may realize that oh neither of them you know really work for me and you may end up being pushed into the right direction which you actually did want to go in maybe yeah we, we like for instance I'm noticing we if I think of one student in particular, did, he did a fashion course. And now he wants to go do a graphic course. And you'll probably go, well, how in heaven's name are these even linked? How do you go from fashion to graphics? But he, his, his interest in fashion is more about promoting fashion and more about the social um, media kind of digital uh, world around what goes on in fashion. So, right. of course, he finds, you know, I'm interested in fashion. Then he goes and does fashion and he goes, Goes, yeah, 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 I like fashion, but I'm actually interested, more interested in this other side. Okay. And so he wants to go more into the the sort of um, uh, what you call it, marketing and social media and, you know, creating content rather than actual designing and uh, producing right. uh, garments. Right. And um, it, it doesn't take him three years to figure that out. So true, with, with true. one of our courses, it takes him a couple of months. Right. Yeah. I think there's a lot of benefit to be uh, gained from courses like that, for sure. Absolutely. Um, you mentioned earlier about trend forecasting, and I can't seem to get that out of my <laughs> mind now because that seems... So what a cool job, right? <laughs> yeah, that seems like you would need to know so much, but at the same time, not know so much. You know, it's 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 kind of like this, you need to have an overall cross-section across, you know, society and, you know, design in general and yes. politics and economics yes, and exactly. all of that, which, which, which is super, super interesting. I mean, I just might take that you, course now. You, 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 you would have to know so much, <laughs> right. but you would have to be careful what you tell. Of course. Because you cannot give your secrets away. How True. do you know that the next craze is going to be mohair, wool, cardigans or something? Right. Well, because... You know, sheep farming took off or something. Right. You know, the the and you know what I say to the students is you can also not be ahead of your time because people won't get you. True. But, so you've got to be ahead of your time, but what you're telling people is gotta be for now. Right. And so that's that's a definite that's a gift. Okay. As as an interior designer by by profession, um and obviously being a design educator for so long. Um, I'm sure you've noticed there's uh, a very clear shift, perhaps, maybe even worldwide, that people, especially the younger demographic of the workforce, are 
they kind of don't really see the value in doing, say, a full-time job as in a nine-to-five job. And you see a lot of them kind of venturing more into the freelance economy or the gig economy, as you want to call it. Um, I have my, obviously, you know, reservations about it. I do think it's very beneficial in some angles. Considering you've kind of seen where the industry was back then and where it is now, I'm interested to know where do you see it going in the future? Do you see a lot of individual practices coming up or do you see um, smaller boutique houses kind of becoming the next trend or do you see the traditional mass kind of, you know, studio house that kind of take over the world for lack of a better word? Uh, Where do you see the trend going in the next, say, decade or two decades? Well, I definitely think you're going to have a combination. You're always going to have that big studio house because I think you've got to start somewhere. Right. But I do think that you're going to get a lot more of what you call boutique. I like that boutique design houses, um, freelancing. Um, but And I think it's healthy. And I think it's healthy because, um, especially the generation, the younger generation, you – and. Even if you think of how we at Inscape teach degrees, we don't necessarily teach you about graphic design or interior design or fashion design. Well, I don't say we necessarily, we don't teach you specifically about that. We teach you how to think and we teach you how to employ that thinking and turn it into practice. And you can do that with anything. And that's called design thinking. And, um, and when, you can, when you can think in a way that solves problems, ideation, um, you can do anything. You can become a used car salesman, if you like, um, employing what you know, um, the, you know, how to solve a problem or how to um, ideate and to convert, um, you know, to, to sort of... Uh, solve problems sounds so negative but you know what I mean so it's it's how do I turn this what's not going right how do I change direction and how do I fix things how do I make things work better and it can be graphic interior fashion architecture it can be anything you want if you can think in a certain way and I think um youngsters, school leavers who are looking for degrees should be looking for the degree that's teaching them to think and teaching them to solve problems. And then I can become an interior designer, fashion designer, graphic designer, whatever, whatever. I can even become an, an uh, accountant if I want. You right. know, um, it's, it's, it's that I'm thinking in a specific way, that I'm thinking sustainably, that I'm able to adapt Okay. And then I'm and and so if I can think like this, I can do anything. And so yes, even if I think in the last thirty years, how many of my students are actually now practicing what they studied? Very few. They go into property. They go into development. They go into construction. They change jobs altogether. They start. I mean, I've got interior design students who are designing jewelry. Um, I got That's graphic, cool. <laughs> graphic design students who are making clothes. Um, you know, it's uh, and and that's kind of cool because you don't want to be stuck in that rut. Again, I think it's about finding your passion. What are you good at? What do you enjoy doing? And so that your degree doesn't become pointless. Right. So you don't go, oh, I've really wasted four years of my life. Right. You know, so you can go, hey, that taught me to be where I am today. Right. 
that's um kind of awesome that we got that segue because <laughs> i uh, i really want to talk about passion and i want to talk about how while it is one thing to have passion it's another thing to monetize that passion yes and that's something which i would definitely want to get into and definitely start talking about baroque and your time over there before that this would be a good time to take a quick break and we'll catch you guys right after thank you guys for listening to this episode thus far it makes us really really proud that we can add value to your commute your drive your workout your design time whatever it is that you may be doing and keep you inspired our inspiration and passion is fueled by the amazing team over at the orange design group The Orange Design Group or ODG as they're affectionately known is an award-winning boutique design firm specializing in bespoke client-centric design solutions. They're based right here in Dubai. What's cool with them is that under their umbrella, they offer an integrated design concept with architectural, specialist lighting and home automation services. Their designs are super clean as in super super clean. They have a keen eye for detail and their work has gone on to be featured in various media outlets both locally and internationally. Their work has won multiple awards across various fields. Currently, they're working on delivering niche residential and cultural projects across the GCC. Their work is truly 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 inspiring for any designer. You guys should definitely check them out. They're on LinkedIn and Instagram. The handles are at Orange Design Group. That is at Orange Design Group. Back. <laughs> so, I want to talk about Baroque. Mm-hmm. Tell our listeners who don't know obviously uh what is baroque what is your involvement with baroque and what do they need to know yeah well uh baroque is a very niche uh boutique it specializes in plus size clothing and um by that i mean sort of funky hip happening plus size clothing because being plus size myself i really struggled to find clothing that i Uh, could identify with because um, I'm a pretty funky designer and Definitely. I and I wanted to look different and I wanted to be comfortable and I wanted to express myself in my clothing and I just couldn't find clothing that said me that this is me um so yeah I decided to buy an existing boutique and yeah went from there and just decided to make the clothes that I couldn't find interesting hmm. that's a very good example of having a problem and solving it yeah. yourself <laughs> which is kind of how this podcast also started to be honest that was kind of the birth of it yeah um obviously when you go to buy a business as a designer you can obviously evaluate to some extent the design value that that particular studio boutique is producing However, it's another thing entirely to get into their accounts and figure out, mm. you know, where their debts lie and, you know, what kind of overheads they have and so on. And generally speaking, these are words for designers. Um they tend to kind of shy away from it because they feel that there'll be somebody else to do it most likely. Yeah. Which most of the time is what happens. However, especially if you're an entrepreneur and you're starting up and you're a solopreneur when you know meaning it's literally you are the only person in the business 
obviously those roles have to be done either by you or you know get done in some way so i want to understand that when you bought baroque um how did you do your due diligence was there um was there anyone who you consulted or did you kind of just you know off the cuff decide to you know roll into this venture what was your process well when yeah it's scary as a designer because we we don't like money well we like money but we, we like a lot of money like- <laughs> Feel free to give us as much money as you want. <laughs> it's just we don't know how to charge for what we do and we don't know always, you know, we we kind of quite carefree, you right. know. Um and I think I speak for for most designers because I I know a lot and we tend to have the same problem. So what I did is I consulted with a business coach. It's like a life coach, but they're a business coach. And I had a pretty funky business coach because um, he really went with me in. So what what I did is I signed a, I think, a non-disclosure with the owner. So in other words, she would allow me to investigate her finances, but I, I wouldn't be able to discuss it with anybody else. Um, so this would mean that you couldn't discuss it with the business coach either? Oh, no. The business coach had to sign a, oh, right. okay. a release that he would keep it. So okay. we all we all signed a contract. Right. And so this is quite pretty normal practice. Um, do do that, though, because I think sometimes we can be a little blasé about these things and, you know, sort of end up burning our fingers. Right. So... Um, yeah, I signed a non-disclosure, went in, investigated. Um, the business coach investigated, him and I investigated. I spent a lot of time with the owner, um, going through the books, going through how they do things, going how they cost. Um, right. Interestingly enough, because I can employ design thinking, I improved a lot of her systems. So I had to first understand the systems, and then I could actually find so, – better ways of doing things right. you know so I actually standardized a lot of the systems and um, you know had the flow better but yeah so it took me a good six months and only because I was being extremely cautious and I was extremely nervous because I'd been a design education you know for many years worked for government universities worked for private universities and now I wanted to start my own business and I I, I knew I knew very little right So I would suggest to people, if you can't get a business coach, at least shadow the the business you're, you know, job shadow. Right. The business you're looking for or a similar business. If you want to start a business from scratch, you know, the thing is we are so scared of other entrepreneurs, but they usually are very friendly and very willing to assist you. Oh, absolutely. Just ask. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's the biggest word of advice I can ever give Mm -hmm. as well. I'm like... You, especially, you know, like you said, you know, entrepreneurs especially are the most friendly people, to be honest, (laughs) because they're kind of looking for answers too. They also have questions just like how you do. So Mm. they're actually the best people to kind of get in touch with. Mm. Um, I'm interested to understand uh, your take on the business of design, Mm. right? All of us are designers, the architects, interior designers, fashion, graphics, whatever your field is, everyone at some point has to, if you want to go down the route of entrepreneurship, at some point have to deal with the business side of your design, right? So I want to understand since 
you not only teach design, but you also own a design boutique. Uh, how do you kind of split the designer and the business owner? Because in my mind, they are two very different roles. Um, not all the time interlinked even perhaps. Yeah, they're not. But how do you as one individual, someone say running a architecture practice who has just started off, it's been say about a few months and he or she now has to not only run the business, but then also kind of manage clients and also actually design and so on. So how do you manage these roles and how do you more importantly manage the business side of that role? Because as a designer, you probably already know a bit about design. So you kind of are relatively comfortable there. But the business side is where I feel a lot of people lack Mm. just out of experience or knowledge, whatever it may be. So to refine my question, because I know that went off in so many directions, (laughs) that's just because I get very frazzled it's frazzled the word, mm-hmm. frazzled about it myself because yes. it's quite an intimidating thing to get into, especially if you're not very comfortable of, you know, talking about numbers and things like that. So <clears throat> from your point of view, how does one um, improve um, the business side of their design practice? Yeah. How do you learn the skills? It is different hats. Because trust me, you you are especially if you're entrepreneurial and you are like a, a standalone or you have few few people. Right. And I mean, even Inkscape is a good example of that. And Baroque, we're not a big, we're not big, we're, we're small. But any business is not just one function. It there's a whole lot of functions. As the owner or as the person running the business, you have to have your finger in all the pies. But the people working for you don't necessarily have their fingers in all those pies. Right. And they don't always have to. Like they don't have to know what's going on in the finances or what's going on, you know, how you're going to get the next you know, client or client whatever. Yeah, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. But um but you as the person running that have got to have your your finance hat, your HR hat, your uh, mentor hat, right. and then of course your design hat. So you have to seamlessly sort of wiggle between right. all of these things. And but, but but how how would you if let's say yes, you know definitely you have mm-hmm. to wear those multiple hats. But what if I don't know HR? I've never done HR. Yeah. I don't know what the basics even Research. are. Research. I promise you, trust me, because that's how I became HR, Um, because I researched. Um, You work with people, and people, there's so many different types of people. You get difficult people, you get happy people, you get sad people, whatever. And then you realize, oh, hell, I've got to manage all these people. So I just started Googling and researching and finding out, um, speaking to other HR people. Um, the people are fantastic. Like it's not just entrepreneurs, other people. You know, the I connected with people on LinkedIn. I connected with people on Facebook. I connected with friends of friends, and just said, "Hey, I've got this problem. You know, or I've got this thing. What do you? What did you do? What did you do?" And you just kind of like figure it out, and you realize that you've got to, you've got to on you. You can't just sweep things under the carpet you kind of got to find the solution you got to find the answers yeah and if it's not on the internet i promise you somebody's going to help you so 
yeah, and, and, and of course time. You know, I did, it took me 30 years to get here. Of you course. Know, I was actually talking to one of our colleagues today and I said to her, you know, she's 25 years old. And I said to you, you must remember, I'm nearly 50. Uh, I'm, I've, I've been around the block. I I've don't even know some, I've forgotten some stuff that you're still going to learn. Okay. And that's where she is in her life and this is where I am in my life. So we're all at the place we and we and we are where we're supposed to be, right? I don't want to sound too philosophical, but you know, you 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 will learn what you need to know as you go, okay? Because you will make it your business to find out, and if you don't make it your business to find out, then maybe entrepreneurship isn't for you. True. Yeah. True. So if if you don't if you're not going to find out how to manage your staff, if you're not going to find out how to manage your finances, if you're not going to find out figure out how it works, then maybe that maybe it's not for you. Right. Then find your your other passion, or Would, get a business partner <laughs> <laughs> whose passion is this stuff. <laughs> right. That that was going to be something which mm-hmm. I kind of wanted to venture into as well. A lot of um, entrepreneurs, especially solopreneurs. Um, they kind of feel guilty that they need to outsource, for lack of a better word, anything which they're not good at. But at least out of my limited experience, I've always found that it's a lot better to kind of double down what you're good at and kind of let someone else who's really good at what you're not good at handle it. Yes. I mean... um, not to sound, you know, preachy, but um, the very podcast itself, I realized very early on that whilst I love doing this, um, the audio engineering part of it was really difficult in the sense that it was an entire new industry for me, which Mm -hmm. I had to not only learn, I had to then perfect. And whilst I can, you know, say that I have it under control, it could definitely be a lot better. And it's only when I realized that I needed someone to come in, um, overnight, the quality and the time, more importantly, that it took to put out an episode, dramatically reduced. And that was just because I was able to connect with someone who shared the same passion, who shared the same vision. <laughs> for, the, you, for, for those of you who can't see, I'm, I'm kind of looking at my uh, head of audio, Mr. <laughs> Jasim Alfonso, <laughs> who's kind of uh, a little shy. He doesn't like coming on the show. Maybe you guys can go show him some love on Insta at strum at ease. <laughs> little shameless plug. <laughs> no, but for real though, he does put out some amazing content that you should, you should, should, should check him out. We'll probably put it down in the show notes or something, right? (laughs) He's like, moving on. (laughs) He's like, I don't care. I'm too cool. (laughs) But coming back to the point of finding someone to share your weaknesses with and Mm. finding someone who can fill that, I think that's the best way forward. Yes. So having said that, I want to know, having how long have you had Baroque with you? I've had it for nearly three years now. Three years now. Mm. So this is normally the point in a business wherein it's pretty much make or break, right? Yeah. At at the three-year point. So I want to kind of, what what advice could you give to someone, say, starting along this venture, starting down the road of entrepreneurship in design? 
um, having been at three year mark where you are, what kind of advice would you give someone who's just starting out now? Just starting out now. Um, well, the, 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 the research and the investigation, and I think don't think about it too much. Right. Um, of course, if it's your lifeblood, hello, that's dra- dramatic. But if it's something you're doing part-time that you want to eventually get into, don't overthink it. Um, and just something, that I know I'm just going to double back a bit. We were talking about finances. The reality is we all get scared of finances, but if you can figure out your monthly budget and you can pay all your bills, you can run a business. It's not different. It's money comes in and money must go out. And if you haven't got it, you can't spend it. And it's the same as when you've got a budget at home, you pay for certain things. And if there is a money, you don't get them. And if there is money, you do get them. And maybe sometimes you get to go on holiday, <laughs> you know, if you've saved a little bit. But the uh, same with the business. It, it really isn't that complicated. You know, the, I have a lot of even students, even people saying to me, how do you make Baroque work? It's like I just monitor what – I'm not always the popular guy. I mean, even at Inscape, you, you, you're not always the guy that everybody loves because when they want to do this, you go, no. And they wanted to know because they just, I know what the expenses are in the month and I know what we have to pay. And so, no, we can't do this little nice thing or that little nice thing because right. we need to pay all these other things by the end of the month. Right. And I think it's just understanding that. And of course, now with Barack, what I've started noticing is my, and that's one thing you must keep track of, and I'm sure you will as a designer, like Excel is your friend. <laughs> and you just keep, keep, keep track. I've been keeping track of when my high months are and my low months. So I already know when I'm, when my low month, and that's usually winter in South Africa, I like that's when the sales drop dramatically. So I know that's when I need a buffer. Right. The first ma- the first year it was a you know but but I, I say it was it was hard but I'd already studied that in the the previous owners and um, uh, uh, finances and I saw that there was this Lovely roller coaster yeah. yeah and so I I started preparing for that so that's why you can never be too prepared like just know more than you think you need to know okay and it's actually quite simple. You know, right. just employ common sense. Right. Yeah. And if you're not running your budget at home, shame on you, start. <laughs> <laughs> Truer words have never been said. <laughs> I want to um, I want to touch back uh, to when you were saying about how when you have employees who come up to you and, you know, they want to do X, Y, and Z, you're the one who has to say no, and that makes you the unpopular person. Mm. So would it be fair to say that as a designer running a business, you need to be very strongly opinionated or you need to have a very strong opinion and you need to be able to follow through with that opinion or whatever it is that you're thinking, because that too is a problem which a lot of designers face, wherein you kind of, um, for lack of a better word, cannot say no. I mean, yeah. I've had a lot of practices who, you know, say, for example, yeah, we don't really like this client and we don't really like this job and we don't really, really want to do it. But we kind of have to because of 
most of the time cash flow because of you know whatever it's the bread and butter that we need and so on and so forth so it's very hard as a, as a designer to kind of have an opinion i feel um especially when it comes to the business of it so how do you maintain what you think is right whilst still running the business mm-hmm. successfully do they normally clash not necessarily the thing is they can be only one they can only, they can be only one you know right. the movie <laughs> they can be only one they can only be one boss right but that boss does need to share the vision so right. if you can successfully share your vision with your staff and there are many ways to do that because especially if you work with other designers it's very difficult because everybody has an opinion and everybody thinks their opinion is right but if you can as a as a collective share the vision and where we're going and everybody buys into that and then whatever their contribution is if you can agree that that's you know as long as everybody comes to the table with something and we can all agree that that's the route we're going to go then that's the decision you make but there can be only one boss so only one person i'm not saying like a dictator you you must be inclusive but your team has to understand that they're being led in a direction right and if your team can see that there's a way forward and they follow you then you've done a pretty good job okay so it's not it's it's not just about saying no it's about kind of well why? explaining no why, why you're saying yeah, no yeah 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 we can't okay. do that because okay and i think also um yeah it's it's if the team share the vision right you really there should be no comebacks there should be no okay we don't like this client or whatever right. it's it's not about that at all so how do you how do you then translate that um how do you then translate that now to the design side of things if say for example you were to have a client that comes in and says i'm commissioning you for this project and this is what i want to have done this is the brief and so on you go through you have you know your first pitch your second pitch and so on and so forth and somewhere along the line you realize that the client is kind of going off in a different tangent as compared to the direction that you would want to take so at that juncture how would you deal with it as a designer do you stay true to your guns or do you try to find a compromise or do you kind of try to educate the client to kind of bring them back onto your side what in your experience has been the best way to go about it it's just aligning expectations okay so if if the client knows what you your vision is and so so the client's given you his idea and you you have to reciprocate back to the client so i mean you know as designers we use mood boards we use um, sample boards we use theme boards etc to explain our ideas and that's true for graphic design fashion design but i call that aligning expectations okay. so if the client knows what route we're going in and again the why why are we going that route true then um yeah i think if the ch- client wants to change their mind they're really going to have to come and explain to you why because you can say here yeah, were our agreed on expectations and now you're going that way do you understand that that could change everything right you know and so you you don't also have to be closed to it if you want to go with the client go but if it's somehow not going to work 
then just go back to the basics. This is what we agreed on. This is where we were going. If right. you go that way, all of this is different. Do you okay. understand that? True. That's cost implications, time implications. It has a whole lot of implications if the client suddenly changes, of course. And we've all had that client. Yeah. 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 And we've also all had that designer who goes off on their own tangent and decides not to listen to the client. <laughs> so true, true. It, it works both ways. Yeah and, yeah, and the bottom line is neither is beneficial. No, neither exactly. Neither will take the project yeah. forward. Right? I have handed projects over to a um, fellow designer um, just because the client and I were just not seeing eye to eye. I mean, and to be quite frank, I was quite busy at that time, so I just didn't have time to, you know, butt heads every single meeting. So I just very politely handed them over to a a, um, colleague and went about my business. And um, they managed the project quite well. Um, So sometimes you just got to give up. (laughs) I know it sounds terrible, but, you know, if, if it's your bread and butter... Stick, stick it out, but if you can manage. And you know what? I did it not for me. I really did it for the client because I was not doing the project any justice. So sometimes yeah. you've got to just be take honest one with yourself. the team and say this is not working out. You and yeah. I are not – I'm not going to give you what you want. It's just we, I could just feel we were just never – like I thought we had agreed and then we come back for the next meeting and I realized – I have no idea what we were talking about. And so I just realized this guy and I are not Vibin. seeing eye to eye. Like uh, our, our expectations just never aligned. Okay. <laughs> so sometimes you just got to give it up. And But I, I truly believe if you can align expectations. And I, by the way, just if I can put that in, sure, I believe sure. that for anything, relationships, uh, friendships, if you align expectations – you really can't go wrong. Okay. If they know what you're in for and you know what you're in for and they know what they're getting and you know what you're getting, sorted. Right. I think... No surprises. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that's... Uh, those are probably the two most important words that for anyone to take away from this entire podcast, which is aligning expectations. I think that's the most beautifully summarized way you can kind of... I mean... It's something which, you know, you know, like you said, you can apply it to all parts of your life, mm-hmm. not just, you know, not just design across business, across education, across obviously your design as well. Aligning expectations, I think, is the biggest, most universal thing that anyone can do at any level yeah. to kind of, you know, move forward positively. So yeah. thank you very much for that. <laughs> Pleasure. Because, <laughs> you know, the thing is, we, we're not here to... Um, we're not here to be difficult. Right. You know, we, we're, we're here as you, you know, we're here to get along with each other and enjoy each other. And you want to enjoy a project and you want to enjoy a client. Mm. You want to enjoy what you do. Right. You know, so just decide to enjoy it. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I think on that note, um, we are at the end of mm. this week's episode. I want to thank you very much again, Monet, for coming on. And for anyone who wants to get in touch with you, uh, what's the best way for them to reach you? Um, could they maybe just rock up to the campus you have over here in D3? Or yeah, what's the best always, way to get in touch? there's always somebody. 
Um, of course, there's hello at inscape.ae. Hello, hello at Inscape. <laughs> yes. So that's the easiest one. And then, yeah, we're always from 9 to 6, definitely. Sometimes till 10 o'clock at night. But um, 10 o'clock at night? Yeah, we give class till 10 o'clock at night. Holy hell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's cool. Don't sound so surprised you have most evenings at 10 o'clock at night. <laughs> For very different reasons. <laughs> Well, once again, thank you so much, Moni. Um, for all of you guys, if you guys need to get in touch, um, there'll definitely be some stuff down in the show notes for you to kind of read through. And we hope to see you guys. Well, hope for you to hear us. Is that correct? Is that correct, Grammar? We hope for you to hear us next week. Yes. I suspect so, because they wouldn't be seeing you, they'd be hearing you. So that's good. All right. See you guys next week. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening to the complete episode. It means the world to us that you did. As you probably know, this episode, along with a host of many others, are available on all of your favorite streaming platforms. If this episode in any way added value to you, please subscribe to us and leave us a review. It really helps us get the show out there to a much, much, much larger audience. Feel free to share the episode with your friends, your colleagues, or anyone who may benefit from it. Meanwhile, if you'd like to get in touch with us, follow us on Instagram at aform.studio. That is at aform.studio and send us a DM. That's it. It's that easy. All right, guys, this has been awesome and we'll catch you guys next week.